Hey everyone, welcome back to the Invisible Truths podcast. I took last week off to give myself a break, and though it was nice, I am glad to be back. Before we jump in, I want to remind you to leave a rating and review on this podcast. That way it will be easier for others to find it. I'd like to get a few more reviews so that people can see how the work I'm doing is impacting my current listeners. So if you haven't done so, please take a moment, give me a five-star rating, and leave a review. Your reviews are also helpful because they let me know how to improve this podcast in the future. Okay, this week I'm going to be talking about the annoying little truth that you can't make happiness happen. How do I know? Well, let's jump in and find out. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Tapper and this is Invisible Truths. This is a podcast for anyone who carries burdens that feel too heavy to bear, questions too vulnerable to openly discuss, or pain that you're certain no one else will understand. Even more than that though, this is a space to acknowledge and explore the invisible truths within each of us. If you're still interested, let's get started. You can't make happiness happen. How do I know? Well, I've tried. I planned and plotted and worked my butt off in order to make myself happy and to find joy and fulfillment. Or at least that's what I thought I was doing. See, my dreams were not complex and they weren't too far out of reach from my perspective. I wanted to have a combined household income of $100,000. I wanted to own a home and have at least one child. And I wanted a career in politics or foreign affairs, primarily because I felt like I needed to change the world. Those were my goals and they felt fairly attainable. Granted, changing the world always seems a bit monumental, but I'm Ben Tapper, so of course I thought I could do it. Not only did I buy into these dreams, but I bought into the lie that I had to grind in order to get there. Actually, that wasn't the lie. The lie was that I wanted to be there in the first place. See, each of my dreams actually just hinted at something I really wanted, but they were only hints. The things I really wanted were financial security so I would never have to feel the sting of poverty or the anxiety of living paycheck to paycheck. I wanted children so that I could raise them with love and acceptance and prove once and for all that I'd broken the cycle of poverty and abuse. And I wanted a successful career because I wanted to feel valuable and worthy. I had to prove that I wasn't wasting my time, my talents, and my life. Had I recognized earlier that those were my desires, the desire for security, for worth and vindication, that those were operating, I could have addressed them instead of focusing on the superficial goals and thinking they would lead to sustained happiness and joy. But I didn't know that then, I know it now. And so I tried desperately to make happiness happen. I tried desperately to pursue those goals and I thought I was well on my way until it all came to an abrupt halt with one short meeting. I was working for an organization in Indianapolis, and one day I got called into a meeting with my supervisor. I thought it was a little strange because my coworkers weren't called in with me, but nonetheless, I went in anyway, figuring we would just talk briefly about strategies. Unfortunately, that's not what this meeting was about. See, as I sat down, my boss explained to me that someone higher up in the organization was gunning for my job. They felt like I didn't have the right attitude for the work anymore and that I was actually a detriment to the company. 
and they said that they had seen this happen before, and my boss's recommendation was that I quit before I could be fired. This news hit me like a brick wall. Here I was, thinking that I had been doing well, I would never so much as been written up, I had never been reprimanded for sloppy work, I had only received positive feedback over the course of my time with this organization, and here my supervisor was telling me, almost nonchalantly, that someone else was gunning for my job and that there was nothing he could do about it. Or maybe more accurately, there was nothing they would do about it. As I sat there listening to this news, I grasped for meaning. I was trying to figure out what I had done to get on this person's bad side. I was trying to understand why my supervisor wouldn't fight for me if they were happy with my performance. They kept telling me that they thought I was a bright young man with a, a strong future, and yet they wouldn't defend me. So I felt betrayed. I felt discarded, and I felt deeply hurt. Now I want to pause here and note that as I look back several years later, I have a strange appreciation for this moment. Don't get me wrong, I'm not thankful for the pain I felt or the sense of personal chaos it created. I am thankful for the disruption, though. I now realize that road closures in life can both delay our journey and launch us into new adventures we would have otherwise missed. And the latter definitely happened for me. So as I left that meeting confused, hurt, and angry as hell, I felt determined to get back on track. And so I quickly looked for a way to figure out what change I needed to make to make my goals happen. I wasn't going to let this derail me. I felt too strong, too stubborn, and too talented to just let this change my path. As I reflected and struggled and wrestled, I remember that I had once had a dream to get into international relations. And so, as I finished the last semester of my first master's degree with Indiana University, I took advantage of their networking trips. I went out to Washington, D.C. and shook hands, smiled, told my story, and did my best to make meaningful connections that could possibly lead to a job at some point. And honestly, I was doing pretty well. I had had things set up. I had a couple options for places to stay. I had someone in D.C. looking over my resume, giving, giving me tips on how to improve it, what to change. And I was applying for jobs like crazy. My plan was that as soon as I graduated, I would move myself out there, stay on someone's couch for three to six months while I saved up money so that I could buy an apartment and Brooke could move out with me. Then I would slowly work my way up the ranks and eventually land a mid-level job in the field of diplomacy. That was the goal, that was the plan, and that's what I was certain was going to happen, because I knew nothing would get in my way. But as my mind began plotting, my heart began speaking louder and louder, until I couldn't ignore it anymore. See, during this time, I was also taking a leadership class, as part of my master's degree program. And this leadership class had us do a bit of a self-evaluation. It was a deep dive look at our motivators, our dreams, our desires, and what we needed to do in order to make them happen. It also asked us about our family, our friendships, and how we could best take care of ourselves as we were leading. And so as I engaged in this work of personal reflection and wrote this paper, it occurred to me that the things I was desiring were not actually the roots of my dreams. 
they were the grass tops. See, I realized that while a career in diplomacy might be fulfilling, really, if I could just find something that would let me teach people, do a lot of public speaking, and build relationships, that I might be just as fulfilled. Because those were the things that brought me alive as I reflected on the different roles I'd had in various jobs and the things I had done in school and the ways in which I worked in the community. I realized that it was teaching, speaking, and building relationships that really brought me life. And so I figured, okay, maybe I could do those instead. And and this realization coincided with an invitation from a congregant at First Mennonite Church. One Sunday morning, I was sitting in church, and we were doing a service that was a little different than normal. See, uh, once a quarter or so, First Mennonite does a service in which the pastoral team poses a couple questions to the congregation, and then it's like an open mic service, and so anyone that wants to can come up to the microphone and answer a question. So I sat in the back with my wife and listened as person by person went up to the microphone responding to the question. And the question that I remember that day was, what does salvation mean to you? I sat and I listened, not really feeling like going up and speaking until shortly before the service ended, Brooke looked at me and said, I'm surprised you haven't gone up and said anything yet. Now, I'm a firm believer that the Spirit can speak through those closest to you, and that is often the case with Brooke. And so I took that as a nudge that I should go up and say something. So I did. I walked to the microphone and I began speaking about what salvation meant to me. And I explained that salvation wasn't a spiritual concept. I I didn't think about Jesus dying and bleeding so that I could be saved or go to heaven. I didn't think about any of that. When I thought about the word salvation, I thought about how my life had literally been saved. I thought about the fact that at one point I was living in a homeless shelter. And yet somehow there I stood finishing a master's degree. Salvation for me was the moment that I was taken from a parent's custody and placed into foster care. Salvation for me was the journey I had been on to overcome the abuse, the neglect, and the poverty. See, at some point, the trajectory of my life changed, and I was literally saved. And so when I think about salvation, that's what I think about. And I believe God had something to do with that, though I can't explain how, why, or what. It's just what I believe. And as I spoke, I felt the Spirit move within me and within the congregation, and my words were met with approval and gratitude. So much so that during sharing time later that service, a member of the congregation stood up and said that there was a part-time job coming open and that I should consider applying. Now remember, up until that moment, my plan was to move out to D.C., take a job, save enough money to work my way up, and eventually move Brooke out with me so that I can climb the ranks of international relations or diplomacy work. But that moment, something shifted. When he said those words, as soon as they hit my ears, I knew I could not ignore them. See, that was the moment my heart finally overtook my head in the planning of my future. That was the moment I began accepting that maybe, just maybe, I didn't have to understand and know how everything would play out before taking the next right step. And long story short, not only did I apply and get hired on to work as the Faith Formation Coordinator at First Mennonite Church, but I also applied and got accepted to start seminary. 
So I literally jumped into one master's degree program after having finished another one. I left my full-time work to work part-time at the church and to go to school part-time. That was the next step that I chose. And in that moment, I couldn't tell you why I was doing it. I didn't have a career trajectory in mind. I didn't know if the work itself would be fulfilling. I did not want to work in the church. I was honestly an agnostic at that point, and so faith-based work was not appealing to me in any way, shape, or form. And yet, the more I reflected, the more I spoke with those who knew me best, the more I sat with it, the more I knew that those two decisions, to join seminary and to start working at the church, were the steps I needed to take most immediately. So I took them, and that was when I stepped into the darkness for the first time. And I don't regret one second of it. Because I made those decisions to to take the next step, even though I didn't understand, I have experienced some of the most fulfilling years of my life. I've gotten to walk alongside some amazing people. I have developed and deepened the skill sets that I already had. And I've learned so much about myself. And I would have never made those steps if I hadn't had that meeting with my boss. I would have never even considered that possibility if my life hadn't been disrupted, if my plan hadn't been derailed, if my dreams hadn't been deconstructed. I wouldn't have even thought about it. But because my dreams were deconstructed, because my life was disrupted, because my plans were derailed and I had that meeting with my boss, I did think about it and I did take that step. And because I took that step, the last three years have been some of the most fulfilling years of my life. And by and large, I've been happy. Not because I'm finally making six figures and not because I own a beautiful home in the suburbs and not because I have had multiple children and can finally prove that I've broken the cycle of poverty. No, I've been happy because some of my deepest desires are being met. Because though it's been uncomfortable, I've experienced tremendous personal growth and tremendous healing of past wounds. And I've been happy because I recognize that I don't have to have all the answers. And that simple truth takes the weight off. Quite frankly, I've been happy because I stopped trying to make happiness happen. Or at least, I'm trying a little less. See, you can't make happiness happen. You can't script it and write your way into it. But you can let go. You can get real about who you are, what you want. You can step out into the darkness with uncertainty, but a confidence that it's where you need to go. And in doing so, happiness will happen. And let me also say that being happy or fulfilled doesn't mean that life stops hurting. It doesn't mean that you aren't confused or you aren't lonely or uncertain. No, it doesn't mean any of that. It simply means that you trust you are where you need to be when you need to be there. It simply means you trust that though the moment is painful or dark, you know it will not end there. It simply means that you're embracing this part of the process. Because sometimes to be happy, sometimes to be fulfilled, sometimes to have our deepest desires met, desires we aren't even always aware of, we have to experience disruption. We have to have our dreams deconstructed and our plans laid waste. Then and only then can we be opened to what we really need 
and who we really are. Thank you for listening to episode 13 of Invisible Truths. Over the next coming weeks, I will have several new podcast episodes drop, and I'll be featuring guests such as my friend Anna Graham, who is a doula based out of Fort Wayne, and another friend of mine named Herman, who is a mindset relationship coach based in Colombia. They both have some unique insights to share, so please stay tuned for those in the coming weeks. I also want to remind you all that I am launching a new series called Normal Narratives, in which I'm helping people tell their stories. So if you are interested in participating in this at all, please reach out to me. I'm working with two folks right now who are working on shaping and naming and crafting their stories in authentic and powerful ways. And so I would love to work with you. It's free. Just reach out, text me, email me, hit me up on social media, and let me know you're interested, and we can walk through what the process might look like for you. As you continue to reflect this week on this idea that you can't make happiness happen, I want to leave you with one other nugget. One thing I've learned, one of the deepest truths that I keep being reminded of about life is that it's not about either or. It's not black and white. Actually, it is about both and. Life is paradoxical and complex. See, happiness and pain are not really in opposition. Joy and conflict are not antagonistic to one another. And love and discomfort are not antithetical to each other. The sooner we allow ourselves to embrace the discomfort of life's ambiguity and wade into the mess rather than avoid it, the sooner we will more authentically connect with ourselves and with each other and discover the beauty and purpose we all seek. So if you're still grinding and trying to live out that American dream, I invite you to pause and be inquisitive about the desires your dreams might be hinting at. If you find yourself in the thick of the mess when your plans have been deconstructed and the path you were on is closed permanently, you might wonder what other paths are being opened for you. You might wonder what new adventures the mess is affording you that you would not have previously known about. I'm not saying it's easy to be curious or appreciative in the moment, it definitely isn't. But if we allow ourselves to embrace the paradox and mess of life, we can often be opened to new ways of meaning-making that were previously unavailable. And maybe, just maybe, those new ways, those new paths, and those new adventures are just what we need to allow happiness to find us. Thank you for listening to episode 13 of Invisible Truths. Until next week, I'm Ben Tapper.